You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. There is a new PBS film that has uh, debuted here in Philadelphia and is actually making its debut in a number of markets around the country. Dolly Madison, America's First Lady. And uh, we're fortunate enough to have with us here in the studio to talk about this project, Catherine Allen, Senior Executive Producer at TPT National Productions. And uh, Catherine, I want to thank you for spending some time with us here in Philadelphia. Thank you. It's great to be here. Dolly Madison is one of those iconic figures in American history. And dare I say, many people know that she was married to James Madison, but probably right behind that, she's perhaps best known for ice cream. Yes. Am I am I that far off base? In, in, in... No, unfortunately. And snack cakes, too. <laughs> and some people even think that uh, she sewed the flag, confuse her with Betsy Ross. So she's one of those people who has sort of, the history has lost. She was once one of the most famous and sort of celebrated uh, women in America, first ladies, or uh, one of the most celebrated people, I should say, not just women. And all through the 19th century, I think she was considered sort of the most famous first lady and uh, was somebody people looked up to. She was a role model. And somewhere along the line there, as marketing products came along, somebody thought, oh, wouldn't Dolly Madison be a great name for ice cream or snack cakes or whatever? Mm -hmm. And uh, as history sort of forgot her, as other first ladies became more overtly political, she became better known for the line of snack cakes Mm -hmm. for which she is named. There's there's a house here in Philadelphia, the Todd House, that is directly connected to uh, Dolly Madison. It's, It's remarkable. She was the wife of the fourth president of the United States, James Madison. She She lived through two wars. She knew the first 12 presidents and really was an eyewitness to America's founding days from when these 13 colonies came together, uh, declared their independence from Great Britain right here in Philadelphia. So, you know, we, we affectionately remember her because of the snack cakes and the ice cream. She really is a remarkable figure given what she was a witness to. Yes, she really, you know, you really nailed it. She lived uh, a long life, 81 years, and uh, her personal life went through amazing changes. She was a a Quaker here in Philadelphia. She was uh, part of a large Quaker family and that fell on hard times. Mm. And she was married twice, as you said, the first, her first husband died. Um, she, her second husband, obviously, was the one who catapulted her to fame, James Madison. Um, after his death, she uh, went on to have sort of a third act in her life, moving back to Washington, D.C., and becoming sort of an icon figure because she not only could talk about George Washington and the early days of, of the country, she had seen so much of America's early history and been a part of it. She wasn't just sitting on the sidelines. She was really out there on the front lines. And that's remarkable because today it's almost given with the territory that whoever occupies the Oval Office that the wife is pretty much out there. I mean, it's hard to believe 
that uh, today that there would be a first lady in the White House who was not actively involved in some cause. But yet, when we go back to our early part in history, Martha Washington, I mean, we, we read about Martha Washington in the history books, but don't really see her as being a cause celeb, being out there and and uh, uh, really rallying or you know, rallying the troops or rallying the country. But Dolly Madison's remarkable because, as you said, she really did have this third act where she was very much an active participant, not like, dare I say, many other women back in the colonial days where they definitely took a back seat to what the men were doing those days. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, getting back to the role of first lady, uh, there had never been a sort of defined, a definition for what the president's spouse was supposed to do. It was this very unofficial, unelected position, as it still is. And Martha Washington um, was president uh, Washington's wife. She was attended events. She did it because uh, she was a dutiful wife. She didn't particularly care for going to those events. Abigail Adams wasn't interested at all. She spent a lot of uh, the presidency in Braintree, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. where she felt more comfortable. And Thomas Jefferson, of course, was a widower, and Dolly Madison acted as his sort of social hostess for Mm -hmm. special events. Dolly was the first one to sort of realize that you could take this unofficial role and turn it into a public role and become, um, you know, a face, uh, a symbol, a larger um, symbol for America. And it was, um, I think she just had an uncanny knack for understanding the importance of symbols for a very young country that didn't have much history. Mm -hmm. And she embraced this role. And it was really ideally suited for her because she was a very outgoing person and, uh, you know, had great social skills and great empathy and a great sort of understanding of what the country needed at that time. And and that's why I guess when, you know, I I heard the title of the PBS film, Dolly Madison, America's First Lady, I thought, well, she was the wife of the fourth president. There were other first ladies, but as you so so described, she really was the first one to step into a formal role of what was expected, perhaps, of the wife of the President of the United States. Yeah, she turned it into a full-time job. And, you know, she was the first one to um, decorate the White House. We often associate that with Jackie Kennedy. But before Dolly Madison, before the Madisons, presidents uh, would bring their own furnishings to the executive mansion, and then they would take it with them. Thomas Mm -hmm. Jefferson took his furniture back to Monticello when he left, (laughs) which is a funny idea. And the Madisons, in decorating the White House and choosing American furnishings, Um, You know, we're making a statement that this is a house that symbolizes the presidency and that symbolizes this new kind of government that we're creating. So she was the first to decorate. She also, um, you know, in the way she dressed, she made the sort of way that the president's wife dressed an important um, symbol again uh, in choosing American simpler, elegant, simple fashions that weren't sort of like what you would see in the courts of Europe. Mm -hmm. Uh, She didn't wear diamonds. She wore pearls. She didn't um, dress in elaborate ways. She dressed in very dignified, simple ways. And I think American first ladies ever since then have sort of uh, used the way they dress to make a statement about that particular presidency. Mm. When when you started uh, on this project and and you embarked on this project and you started learning a lot about Dolly Madison, 
was there any pushback <clears throat> from society at that time, whether it was the very small, I'm sure, Washington inner circle or just among her peers about what her what she was setting out to do uh, compared to what was the average woman's role at that time in our early history. I mean, was there anything in your research that showed that people, you know, raised an eyebrow or two and said, you know, what's Dolly thinking? You know, what is she? What is she doing? What is she thinking? Well, I think uh, the one place where where she maybe got in a little bit of trouble was when um, when she helped her husband campaign for the presidency for the first time, and there was nothing natural about James Madison getting elected president mm-hmm. just because he was Thomas Jefferson's good friend and from Virginia, like the other presidents. Um, he uh, he was a very shy and not particularly charismatic person. And Dolly, who had lots of charisma, actually went out and campaigned for him sort of behind the scenes. She did it using sort of her social connections. She built up had a lot of friendships with the wives of politicians, and she worked those connections and went to parties and spoke up for her husband, and so that when he finally did win, she was, uh, his uh, opponent said, I was beaten by not only James Madison, but by Mrs. Madison. But in doing that campaigning, uh, she she experienced what I think um, wives of candidates have experienced ever since. They suddenly become targets themselves for the media, and or not so much the media, but for the political world. Sure. And she was accused of having affairs with congressmen and with... Uh, you know, international diplomats. Uh, she, at one point, uh, Madison was described as having been unsexed because his wife was overly sexed. And I mean, just she was really raked over the coals mm. by the newspapers and by her opponents in a way that was shocking for women at the time. So to kind of go out there and uh, and be a campaign um uh, person was put her in a dangerous light. She, of course, sort of said uh, she she had a very great way of dealing with those kinds of criticisms and would say things like that was as, that was a great performance. <laughs> and she sort of let things roll off off her back. This all unfolds at a period of our history in the United States when a woman could neither vote nor participate officially in politics. You know, today a lot of people just take for granted even casting a ballot. But this was at a time where this was very much a male-dominated, white male-dominated society. And women definitely took that that backseat role. But Dolly seemed to work the, the back channels, if you will, and was engaged in the process, whether she knew it or didn't know it. But she was engaged politically, but at a time when women really were not engaged politically. Yeah, no, that's really true. Uh, when we um, first chose Dolly Madison to uh, make a film about, we had been um, uh, Middlemarch Films and and uh, TPT National Productions. Um, we'd been doing films about the Founding Fathers. This was actually our fourth project. And uh, one of them was on Benjamin Franklin. We filmed a lot here in Philadelphia for that. And it, whenever we did um, the stories of founding fathers, we would the only times that women became part of the story was in mentioning their wives or daughters or mothers. And we always wanted to kind of linger on those stories mm-hmm. uh, because 
when you get at the history of women, uh, you tell their history, you're looking at a different side of history than if you're just focusing on the stories of men. So when we somebody suggested doing Dolly Madison, we this seemed like a great challenge for just the reasons you mentioned. She was somebody before women um, before women could vote, before they had any kind of political power. But she was obviously a powerful person. So it was an opportunity to look at how did women who were sort of successful, who were leaders, how did they exhibit that power? How did they, how did they use that? How did they demonstrate that back before they had any official kinds of roles? It's, it's easy to tell the story of an Eleanor Roosevelt sure. or... Um, you know, someone like that from uh, who achieves in ways that we think today are ways women uh, should achieve. It's much harder to tell the story of someone like Dolly Madison, who kind of, uh, you know, used her power. Uh, she used the role that society had given her of wife, mother, hostess, mm -hmm. and kind of played that to the hilt. Well, maybe not the mother part, <laughs> but certainly the wife and hostess. Sure. Uh, we're talking with uh, Catherine Allen, who's senior executive producer at TPT National Productions, uh, talking about uh, the debut of the new PBS film, Dolly Madison, America's uh, First Lady. It is uh, now on uh, PBS stations across the country, and uh, it really gives us an insight into uh, uh, America's First Lady. Up until this point, there really was no one that had stepped into the role of uh, being the, the, the First Lady. Of of course, all of the presidents up until James Madison were married. But as as uh, Catherine mentioned, they, they took sort of a back seat or didn't even want to be involved in, in their husband's work. Uh, do you think it's because in Dolly Madison's case that she had been married before and that her husband died as a result of the yellow fever epidemic, I guess, that had swept through Philadelphia and probably some of the other colonies? Was What lessons in your research did she learn from that first marriage that maybe prepared her for what was to come when she was uh, eventually married to James Madison? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't I don't really know. I know it was a very short marriage because of, uh, they were only married a brief time and had two children. So I don't think she learned so much from that marriage other than um, she was definitely influenced by the yellow fever epidemic and the all the people in her own family, including her husband and son, one of her sons who died in that, to sort of, uh, I think that made her a very anxious mother and parent to her one son, which, um, you know, became a, a, a big problem. The relationship with her son is a, is a big part of our story. Um, but I think what led her to be involved in James Madison's career was just wanting to see him succeed. I mean, mm -hmm. she was a very, um, she wanted her him to be a successful president. And she also just was so much the, um, they, they had a real partnership. He was, um, he had ideas and uh, obviously wanted to, to achieve certain things. She was not the, the uh, intellectual that an Abigail Adams was, mm -hmm. but she was the social partner. She knew sort of how to be the public face, the outgoing person who could um, act as a intermediary, bringing, connecting her husband who was shy with other people mm -hmm. who could maybe help him. So she was never sort of promoting her 
her own ideas or her own agenda. She was wanting to see him succeed. As a filmmaker, how challenging is it for you and your team to embrace this this historic figure? Because you mentioned Eleanor Roosevelt. You can always go back and look at uh, the old mm-hmm. kinescopes, the old films of the Roosevelt administration, and 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 see and 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 read about what Eleanor Roosevelt did in the White House, her role in the White House. Uh, many people would say that Eleanor Roosevelt was really the president of the United States because the president was so incapacitated because of his uh, of his physical ailments. But I, I mean, we're talking about a figure more than. 200 years ago, how do you get into the brain? How do you get into the body, the knowledge of this iconic figure without having any contemporary work or documentation to get the essence of Dolly Madison? Well, we were lucky in that, um, first of all, there's a great resource at the University of Virginia, the Dolly Madison Digital Edition, and it's a collection of, you know, hundreds or maybe thousands of letters written from to and from and about Dolly Dolly Madison. So while her own letters, and there are many of them, are not particularly revealing of who she was, so many people, she was such an outgoing person that so many people commented on her. And so what we know about her comes from people who would write letters about having met her at one of the White House parties. Uh, she was famous for doing these Wednesday night parties and where she would bring all kinds of people together, different politicians from opposing parties and sort of promote civility and bipartisanship uh, at these events. And people who would go to those events would write home to Kentucky and say, you can't believe Mrs. Madison, how charming she is, how friendly, even to her enemies. They told stories about the way she looked, the way she uh, dressed, the way she talked to people, the way people felt when they were around her. So most, most of what we know is from descriptions of her and her. We were also fortunate to be able to use a couple of biographies that were written about her mm-hmm. right after, uh, shortly after her death by um, her niece and her grandniece. And we sort of combined those two sources to um, create a character in the documentary who tells Dolly's story for us through these sort of firsthand reminiscences of being around their famous relative. We're talking with Catherine Allen, who's senior executive producer at TPT National Productions, uh, talking about uh, the debut of the new PBS film, Dolly Madison, America's First Lady. You also have cast Tony Award nominee Eve Best as Dolly Madison and Tony Award winner uh, Jefferson Mays as uh, James Madison. How did you decide on these two as being Dolly and and the president, you know, James Madison. I mean, how did you uh, cast these two in the movie? Well, the director of Dolly Madison, Muffy Meyer, a uh, very talented Muffy Meyer, had uh, been looking around, uh, lives in New York, and had been going to the New York theater a lot, working with a casting agent. And she saw a performance of Eve Best in The Homecoming, mm-hmm. Harold Pinter's The Homecoming, where she played a role that could not have been more diff- different than Dolly, but mm-hmm. she was such a good actress in that part that uh, Muffy became uh, really interested in her, and we offered her the part. And uh, even though she's British, she managed uh, to learn a Virginia <laughs> accent. Right. and. 
it's amazing how she kind of became Dolly Madison in the process of filming. Uh, sort of, she would get into costume and character, and then she would, um, in her interactions with the crew and other act- actors and extras, she sort of assumed or channeled Dolly and mm-hmm. was very solicitous of how they were doing. Were they comfortable? Um, you know, who are you? Tell me all about you. Mm-hmm. She became Dolly, really, oh. on and off camera. When all is said and done, there's a role, this pivotal role that Dolly Madison takes on in, in the administration of her husband, and she becomes America's First Lady. Does she then set the stage for first ladies to come after her? So, for instance, um, when Madison leaves the White House and the new president moves in, do they do, do the other uh, wives of the presidents look at Dolly Madison then as as the standard that they have to at least be hope to reach or even exceed? But I mean. Or, or, or does that come much later? I mean, you know, once the Madison administration is over and the next president comes in, are they looking, is the wife of the next president looking to say, I have to be as good as, if not better than, Dolly Madison? Um, we were just talking about this last night. Fortunately, um, one of our historians who knows a lot more about American history than I do says that Monroe's wife, who because uh, Monroe followed Madison, mm-hmm. was absolutely not interested in <laughs> any of the things Dolly was interested in. She wasn't interested in the uh, taking on a sort of volunteer activity. That was another thing mm-hmm. that Dolly Madison sort of championed was, you know, a, a first lady adopting a cause. And she was the first to do that. Um, I don't think there were six presidents um, between the time that uh, James Madison left office and uh, Dolly's death. And I don't think there were any of them in that period who who sought to be like Dolly. Uh, She was uh, she was truly unique. Mm -hmm. And I know later. Um, first ladies like Jackie Kennedy and uh, even Hillary Clinton. Um, I'm not saying that they modeled themselves after Dolly Madison, but I think they recognized what it was about Dolly mm-hmm. that uh, made her great and stand out amongst first ladies. She lives out the final years then of her life, 81, which is also pretty remarkable because uh, back then, I don't know what the average life expectancy was 200 years ago, but today we hear someone living to 81, some might even consider that relatively young, but 200 years ago, when a, when a person dies at the age of 81, they've had a pretty complete life. What, what did she do after she leaves the White House with her husband? How did she How did she live the final chapter of her life? Well, they had, uh, after they left office after two terms, uh, they went to back to Montpelier, which was the Madison home in Orange, Virginia. And they went into retirement, essentially. And uh, Madison and James Madison and Dolly worked on James Madison's papers, uh, including the constitutional papers. And they had many, many visitors from around the world because... Um, you know, they were famous. They had, uh, they were part of that founding generation. And so Lafayette visited them. Any dignitary coming to Washington would also make a side trip mm-hmm. down to Virginia to visit the Madisons. And so they entertained people for, and when people visited you in Orange, they didn't just come for the night. You know, it <laughs> took a week practically to get there by carriage. And uh, so 
they they stayed for a week or several weeks. So they did a lot of entertaining, and um, but but led sort of a quiet life in between compared to what they had in Washington. After James Madison died, um, the the Madison estate at Montpelier. Um, was falling on hard times. The The crops were failing, and um, there was not much money. And Dolly's son, um, who was a gambler and who mismanaged a lot of Dolly's, the Madison funds after Madison's death and actually beforehand, um, really drove her into financial ruin. Mm-hmm. So she was um, pretty much impoverished. Uh, by the time um, she was in her 70s, early 70s. And she uh, eventually had to sell Montpelier, which is, that's a big part of our story. And she moves back to Washington to a modest house uh, where she lives with uh, one of her nieces. And she lives sort of the life of shabby gentility, from having been a fashion icon, um, always beautifully dressed, she's sort of reduced to the same kind of clothes that she wears over and over and over again. And she lives fairly near the White House, so she's invited over there for dinner all the time. Mm -hmm. And people bring her food, and she's such um, a wonderful sort of relic Uh, in people's eyes of the old days, of the founding period of the era of the Constitution, that everyone wants to to meet her. And so she sort of becomes a grand dame all over again in her uh, sort of impoverished old age. She's given a seat, uh, on the an honorary seat on the floor of Congress and given uh, franking privileges, postal privile- privileges, and sends the first telegraph message in the United States between Washington and Baltimore. And so she's very much, uh, she, she really comes back into a uh, sort of wonderful last act of her life. But she lives in very, very reduced circumstances, and uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, it absolutely sad is. story. It is a sad story, but yet uh, one that uh, really uh, gets into the essence of uh, Dolly Madison. You know, we started off uh, kiddingly talking about how we perhaps knew her best for the snack cakes and the ice cream, but we see that uh, her legacy is is quite rich. And my final question is, do you think that she had any idea what her legacy would be? 200 years later, there would be a movie about her, that there would be a, a library dedicated with all her you know, her letters and things where people were interested in who Dolly Madison was and how she lived and, and her role in American history. You know, I think Dolly had an uncanny sense uh, for her era of self-promotion. I don't think a lot of women of her era would have, um, had they been in that same kind of a public role, have thought about their legacy in the future. But I think Dolly Madison was probably, I'm just guessing, somebody who probably did uh, think that um, and wanted to be remembered in history for um, her act of heroism, certainly uh, in saving the George Washington portrait when the White House was attacked uh, in the War of 1812. There's an interesting story about that. She, um, The letter that she writes that we use uh, in the film 
uh, describing that day when she makes the decision to save the portrait and the British are advancing on the White House, on Washington, and she's uh, putting herself and the slaves in the White House at risk by not leaving right away. She wants to save papers and uh, presidential papers and also this famous uh, portrait of George Washington. And she's writing all of these uh, events down in a letter to her sister, which is sort of like, you know, twittering, maybe we would say today. And it seems very odd. And in fact, what happened was she claimed to have lost that letter um, or to uh, that it was uh, poorly written or something. And so she rewrote or recopied out the letter for a biographer of her. Even when she was alive, people were starting to write biographies of Mm -hmm. her. And she said, well, let me recopy that letter for you. And I'm sure, and and historians think she probably embellished that letter. So she had that sense of uh, that she was a historic figure. And uh, and that was unusual for a woman of that time to have that sort of sense of, uh, you know, I'm important and I want history to remember that I had an important role to play. Catherine Allen, senior executive producer at TPT National Productions, for being with us uh, in the studio to talk about this uh, great figure in American history. Catherine, thanks for being with us. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.